everybody, and welcome to the 69th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's too nice to make the obvious pun here. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Looking forward to another great episode. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Travis, what's on the agenda this week? James, this week we have a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We are going to look at the cards that have moved the most in price over the last week. We Then we move on to segment two, our cards to watch. These are cards James and I have our eyes on as uh, cards that will possibly gain some value in the future. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We're going to look at GP Montreal and GP Santiago, both standard events. And segment four, our topic of the week, we got a couple quick ones to hit on. We're going to discuss the Hearthstone Streamer Pro Tour invite, the Dragon Commanders leaked from this year's Commander release, and James has a story about eBay to share with us. So let's start out on segment one, our top movers. Our first card of the week is Enchantress's Presence from Onslaught. We are looking at the non-foil copies here. Jumped from 7 to 14, so about a double up. Um, This card has been floating around in EDH circles for quite a while. Um, I'm not aware of any recent major catalyst other than essentially just a buyout on a card that hasn't seen a reprint and uh, is going to be a perennial favorite in enchantment-flavored EDH decks. Um, I don't know. Do you got any other insight for us, James? No, it's just a good all-purpose card that interacts with commanders that care about enchantments. Uh, it's a pretty old card. Uh, Onslaught foils are some of the oldest foils around, and uh, I'm not particularly surprised to see yet another low supply card make a move. Yeah, and uh, I will say that this is a card that I'm ge- generally not eager to have in my possession at this point, just because uh, this seems like it's begging for a reprint. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the kind of card that could show up in the next enchantment flavored set pretty easily. Yeah, and this, by the way, was the non-foil price. Again, the foils are like $30, and I think they have been for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. What's so next for us, James? Next on the list, we have Effetto Alchemist uh, foils from Onslaught, moving from $550 to just over $12 for about 120% gain. Uh, this card's been showing up in some complicated EDH combo decks that revolve around Paradox Engine and need uh, tapping and untapping abilities. Um, I, I think that uh, the demand for this is, rel- to, to, uh, is likely to be relatively shallow, um, but if you've got some random foils sitting around, maybe you want to uh, toss them into the ring and see if you can unload. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is not a card that I really would have expected to see on our list this week, but hey, whatever works for people. Uh Paradox Engine, it's a hell of a card, I guess. Um, next up on our list is Silvergill Adept. Uh, we're from Lorwyn. Uh, we're looking at foil copies this week. A lot of foil cards this week. I don't know what's going on. 
Normally we don't see as many of those. Um, Foil, Lorwyn, Silvergill, Adapt started the week at around 15, 16, up to 36 right now. Um, so pretty good jump on this guy. Honestly, I was a little surprised when I pulled this up that it was as low as it was at 15. This is a card that is a hundred thousand percent staple in Merfolk, both in modern and legacy builds. So I'm surprised that, um, you know, we just haven't seen the foil climb higher. This to me seems like a, could be a $3 non-foil, $30 foil type of thing. Um, so I think that $30 is probably closer to its right price. And in any case, the supply was pretty low. I don't think there was anything that triggered this other than it being, you know, pretty low. And, you know, I've seen, we've seen Merfolk show up once or twice recently. So maybe that was the cause. I can't remember if Merfolk is going to be one of the tribes in Iconic Masters, but if it is, this is a card that could easily see a reprint there. Mm-hmm. And and at, yeah, a rare, and at a rarity that would crater the foil price. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it all depends on whether or not it shows up there. Um, also, not likely not likely to be a, uh, a commander card, I guess, in Commander 2017. No. and, and it for, wouldn't whatever, affect, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> and it wouldn't affect the foils anyway. No, no, not at all. Um Okay, what do you got next for us? So Devoted Druid Foils um, on the back of some pretty exciting uh, airtime that they got at the Mixed Team Tournament, uh, the Star City Games Tournament last weekend, um, where the Vizier of Remedies Devoted Druid combo was kicking some ass on camera, uh, moved from 22 to $50. Um, this is a Shadowmore Common, whose foils are now $50. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if anybody's actually sold any at that price, but the next person that wants one is going to have to negotiate with that plateau. That is pretty brutal. Uh, I can't imagine these stay at $50, but this is not a bad, this is a pretty real card, right? Like I think that this has kind of proven, shown itself to be a legitimate combo. It's interesting because the minus one, minus one uh, counter synergy might make it uh, a shoe in for Hour of Devastation if Amonkhet had Druids, which I don't think it does. Um, so probably safe till Modern Masters 2019 if it's still uh, a dominant force when they're planning that set. Sorry, I shouldn't say dominant force, a presence in Modern. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, has, it, it hasn't really earned dominant force yet. It's no Death Shadow. Okay. Um, next up on our list is a tune with Aether from uh i'm sorry we have Amonkhet written down but i don't think that's right that's got to be kaladesh right yeah it's kaladesh. Um, kaladesh the foil copy started at a little under two dollars foils are up to four about four dollars now so a little over a double up it's a really heavily played green card in standard at this point um i think every single marvel deck is locked into playing four basically uh you might you're also going to see this show up in like the red green energy decks as well things of that nature so a uh, pretty heavily played um card and standard at this point I, you know i don't if you have foils i guess just sell them I, I generally don't care for standard foils if you're looking to make money yeah standard foil commons is not somewhere i'm usually looking for an opportunity to <laughs> to flip some cards so i i would steer clear of this and you know if you can trade a couple of these out that you opened when you pop some boxes uh into something you need go for it it's kind of amusing to imagine that somebody had like 200 of these and they just spiked this and they're like, yes, I'm so excited. And it's like, what, why would you, well, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of chatter about whether or not we're, you know, we're going to talk about whether we're in the midst of a one deck format shortly. Um, and if I don't feel pretty, very confident holding Marvel staples right now. So, uh, I certainly wouldn't want to be holding a tune with Aether foils. No, no, not in any way, shape or form. Sorry. And, and um, I meant uh, Aetherworks Marvel 
not modern. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do you got next for us? So Deflecting Palm, which is uh, an increasingly relevant sideboard card in modern burn against uh, Death Shadow decks, um, uh, moved from $5 to 14 That's a 180% gain on foils that some of you might have lying around. You should probably check your binder from KTK era when you were trying to get all your fetches and uh, see if you might have something that you can uh, trade out to your local modern scene. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Not a card that I really would have uh jumped on but uh yeah you can probably snag these um even possibly out of your like stores bulk foil box type of thing or for really cheap because who would expect yeah, I mean, this right for people that don't know this is an instant um from cons of tarkir uh, for red and a white next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn prevent that damage and if the damage is prevented you deal that much damage to the source's controller so if somebody's hitting you upside the head with like a six seven tarmogoy for a nine nine death shadow you can basically negate the attack and kill them because <laughs> <laughs> one of the nice things about the death shadow deck is they like to they need to get down under 10 life to really get super effective and if if they're under 10 life they're probably attacking with something really big and this might just be a one-shot kill okay um next up is vizier of remedies this is the card the uh uncommon from Amoncat. the foil jumped from five bucks to 14 15 dollars this is the other half of that devoted druid combo definitely looking like a legitimate combo uh standard common foil at 15 dollars but uh, i don't know i guess fatal pushes at like 50 so yeah i guess 15 isn't that unreasonable for uh, vizier now that people realize that it's a real card and I think the re- the reaction to Amonkhet has been solid, um, but because Standard uh, has been uh, under the weather uh, with reduced participation lately, and because the invocations are not particularly compelling, I suspect that Amonkhet sales um, for uh, you know people cracking packs and, and boxes uh, uh, is going to be hurt a little bit versus some of the other sets as of late. And the result of that might be that the foils in particular of uncommons, rares, and mythics will be a little harder to come by. The other half of this is that um, redemption on Magic Online, starting with the Kaladesh block and continuing forward, including Amonkhet, um, now only lasts uh, until a couple weeks after the release of the next block. So come the fall, uh, vendors are not going to be able to get uh, easy access to non-foil and foil sets via Magic Online Redemption, which could easily impact uh, how fast standard uh, legal foils accelerate if they're seeing play in other formats. Okay. Uh, what have you got next for us? Uh, Throne of Geth out of uh, Scars of Mirrodin block. The foils move from a dollar to $7. This is uh, people just throwing money at anything that proliferates for the purposes of... <laughs> Attracts them mostly, I'm assuming, but also possibly with Brea or anybody else that they think is is counter relevant. Um, I think this is a stretch. This this card doesn't show up in all that many Attracts decks, um, according to EDH.rec. Um, but because the supply was relatively low, it didn't cost uh, whoever decided to buy out 15 copies or whatever uh, very much to take a dive on them. Yeah, you know, it's the type of card that I could see the the price moving on. You know, you just it needs some time to get there basically uh so not the not the greatest choice i would say well and the thing is that um the name makes it pretty hard to reprint um guess is not a character they're likely to reference anytime soon um in a standard legal set and this isn't the kind of card that you can just throw in just anywhere nor are they going to feel like it's a priority to do so 
yeah. uh, th there's a constant stream of necessary reprints that don't include randos like this. So the, this could end up being a foil that's hard to come by for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, you know, and especially since I think the most likely place you'd see it is Commander. So like, you know, you're not really getting any foils there. So yeah, I mean, there's cool. there's copies listed on TCG between seven and eight, but the reality is that the foil market price is still at a dollar. So nobody's actually bit on this new plateau. Yeah. Um, all right, our last card for the week is uh, Harbinger of Night. Uh, yep, none of us know what that is. <laughs> that is a, uh, wait, let me make sure I get the correct uh, reading for you here. It is a four mana, right? Four, four mana, two, three, black spirit that during your upkeep, put a minus one, minus one counter on each creature. So the idea here is that you put this in Hypatra and not only is it killing your opponent's tokens and weakening everything else, you're getting to put minus one, minus one counters on things and triggering Hypatra. So admittedly, it is pretty cute in that deck. And it, the price jumped from about 50 cents to $5 for a pretty big percentage increase. Although I think you'll be unlikely to sell these for more than two or three bucks at a time maybe. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure this even does what you want in Hypatra, right? Because you're you're not actually building up a critical mass of snakes. You are killing all the snakes you just made to make the same amount of snakes, maybe more, depending on how much stuff was on the board that you killed in the latest iteration. Um, I don't, I don't, I only see it showing up in like 30% of the Hypatra decks that have been built so far, but maybe that's just because nobody knew what it did. I'd have to test yeah. it to see um, or follow up with somebody who's actually running the deck to see if it's been uh, of use to them. Uh, in which case, you know, anything is that's as old as Mirage Block that's pretty unlikely to see play again um, anytime soon is a decent place to, you know, dig through your binder, old binders and bulk boxes and dig out some. I, I pulled five out of my Mirage Binder from the Super Collection, and if I can move them anywhere near $5, I'll be thrilled. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, it does what you want it to do, I think, pretty well. Like, you're right that you're just swapping... Um snakes but at the same time you are getting tons of die and enter the battlefield triggers and if your snakes are bigger than one ones then it's not a problem so it does it does do a lot of things i suppose um but yeah okay so let's move on to uh segment two our cards to watch james why don't you get us started well we should probably preface this by saying that most of our picks this week are inspired by the same thing which is the early leak oh. if you believe in leaks uh in this day and age uh of the dragon related commanders that are from the forthcoming commander 2017 set which if i'm not mistaken comes out this summer as opposed to this fall because i think it uh is taking up the summer release slot instead of november which is going to be iconic masters right uh i actually didn't check the date so maybe uh let me just double check that but i'm pretty sure that's correct um so while I'm doing that, let me tell you about my first pick. Uh, if you're building commander decks that involve dragons, um, it's a near certainty that you're going to want Haven of the Spirit Dragon. This is a land um, out of Dragons of Tarkir that adds colorless mana or one mana of any color to cast dragons. So super useful color fixer for dragon decks. And then later in the game, you can pay two and sack the Haven to go get back any any dragon creature or Ugin Planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. So um, a very useful utility land all around if you're fooling around with dragons. And I was stunned to find that there was relatively low supply um, across the entire internet. I mean, it wasn't like down to the last five or 10 copies, like a 10 year old card. Um, 
there was you know 40 or 50 um, that I found over the course of a couple different platforms. So I went ahead and scooped up, I think, maybe 40 or 45 of them. Um, I've left you know scant remains in North America, from what I can see, uh, in the $4 to $6 range. But I can't see how this doesn't end up as a $10 to $15 foil once people get their claws into this new commander deck. Yeah, we are. They're going to see a lot of action. It's a you know these tribal EDH decks are going to do a lot to get a lot of people playing. Um, and I completely agree that you know the foils in general on these are going to be the play because um, you know all the non foil card, all the non foils of these cards could be reprinted, um, which is definitely something you want to avoid. So I think you're uh, you're basically playing Russian roulette when it comes to non-foils in in uh in this commander set because it's like well is this going to be reprinted is it not going to be reprinted um you have no clue uh so foils make the play very safe i think haven of the spirit dragon was a good choice james is very kindly telling us about it after he bought out every copy he could find <laughs> but I mean- a good good option you can find locally yeah i mean locally is good there's still some left on tcg and there's some on some of the vendors that are on mgg price the i mean you know the timing doesn't always line up for when i need to make a move and when i get to talk to you guys about it <laughs> so um you know happy to share the information with you and and uh, i can confirm that there's still plenty of them in europe if you can make that work with your arrangements over there the thing I love about this card, though, uh, there's a couple of other angles. Um, one is that there are multiple dragon-related products this year. It's not just the commander decks, which I just confirmed are coming out uh, in August. In fact, they are coming out uh, on August 25th this year, which is three months or so earlier than we were used to having them. So that's not too far off at all. Um, and uh, we're also getting the re-release of some of the earlier commander decks. So I think Kalia of the Vast, uh, Heavenly Inferno is the name of that deck, uh, mm-hmm. is being re-released. And that's a dragon, angel, demon uh, specific commander who doesn't come with Haven of the Spirit Dragon in the deck because that card wasn't printed yet when that was originally made um, and is a really nice upgrade in that deck if you uh, alter it to run more dragons and less angels and demons, for instance. Um, there's also the fact that Iconic Masters is likely to have quite a few interesting dragons from the old battle days of magic. Um, and all of that means that we're getting uh, just about as much of a focus on dragons um, across multiple sets as we did through the latter half of the uh, Cons of Tarkir block, which for many people, I think, other than the you know the cool legendary uh, super dragons in that set, didn't really have much of a construct dragon focus and didn't really add many uh, fantastic dragons for the long term outside of you know Ojotai and Silumgar um, and uh, Atraxa. So the sorry, not Atraxa. Um, what's the name of the world render atarka atarka thank you uh yeah so i think that all of that contributes to haven being a pretty safe pick um it's also because it's uh, such a fresh card like a recent card from the last couple of years really unlikely to be on wizard's radar for a reprint and even if it shows up in the dragon deck as a one of that's going to be a non-foil uh yeah i mean i agree with everything you just said um it's it's, it's a great choice and if you can find them locally uh, i definitely think you're you're it's in your best interest to, uh, to get in there. Um, okay. So let's move along here. Uh, I am also on the dragon camp. I think we are pretty much mono dragons this week. Um, I went, uh, I went ahead and I'm going to recommend dragon tempest. Um, that's the two mount enchantment that, uh, when your dragons come into play, they get haste and you get to zap creatures or players based on the number of dragons you have. Um, haste is really convenient. Uh, 
This card, I was shocked to find that there are no foil copies of this on TCG Player. No near mint foil copies of Dragon Tempest. I had to check it on a separate device just to make sure that I wasn't reading it wrong. But as far as I can tell, they don't exist over there. There are some copies scattered around on the internet for um, under $5. I left them alone. Um, but I think that this is a home run given that they're already gone, uh, as of like this morning. So either somebody else beat me to the punch, which is probable, um, I guess, but, uh, I, even in any case, every single dragon deck is going to be red and every single dragon deck is going to want this card. Yeah. I mean, it shows up in a reasonable number of the dragon decks on EDH rack. It's not like a slam dunk auto include necessarily, um, because the, I'm inclined are, are... I'm inclined to say that if this isn't in your Dragon EDH deck, then you built it wrong. I just, I don't see why you wouldn't play this, I guess. It just seems too good not to. Yeah, I mean, the, the cost is not high, and it does give your your uh, creatures with flying haste as they come into the come in, so they get to attack right away. And if your dragons come in, you do X damage to target creature or player where X is the number of dragons you control. Um, so like I said, it, it shows up in a, in a good number of the EDH decks, um, and I was expecting that the end of your description was going to be there's about a hundred copies left lying around. Um, so the <laughs> fact that TCG has zero says to me that um, somebody else has gone ahead and bought that out. Um, definitely the kind of thing you can check in your local bulk bin, perhaps, because it's not the kind of card that shows um, was holding more than a dollar price point before somebody went out and bought a whole bunch. Um, so uh, see if you got some sitting around in your binder. Uh, see if you got some locally. Maybe somebody's got some tucked away in a trade binder at your local LGS that you can snag. Um, I would guess that a lot of trade binders are pretty heavy on the cons of Tarkir block stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a card that you're probably not going to find a bulk quantity of, unfortunately. Um, but you can probably score copies here and there. So keep an eye out for those. I think it was, was it Hour of Need, the blue instant in Theros block that I was trying to break this card with? Let me just look that up. Yeah, I had a super janky standard deck that used Hour of Need. This was the uh, Strive instant for two and a blue, um, mm -hmm. where you could exile any number of target creatures, and if, for each creature exiled this way, you put a 4-4 four, four blue Sphinx t creature token into play. Yep. Um, I had some convoluted, very bad deck built around all of this, where you could turn a whole bunch of... You, I think you used Battlefield Thaumaturge. Yeah, Thaumaturgist. that one. To, yep. uh, to make this cost less to turn all your things into 4-4s four and then swing. Was... Man, I have so many thaumaturgists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that card just seems like it's it's an auto it was automatically going to get busted by somebody, but never quite quite got there. Um, all right, so next on the list of dragon cards, you can go out and try to snipe before the commander players realize what's going on. Uh, the crux of fate foils, and this is the sweeper from Fate Reforged that kills um, all non-dragon creatures or all dragons. Typically, if you're playing the dragon deck in EDH and nobody else has any dragons, you're going to want to claim non-dragons and kill everything on the board except your creatures for five mana. Uh, foils Seems were are still... Reasonable. I bought a whole bunch of these, but there's still plenty left um, in the $3 price range. I think that uh, this is an auto-include in all these dragon decks because the, um, the dragon commander is five color, uh, in case uh, you haven't gotten up to speed on that yet. We'll review the exact details of that commander shortly. Um, but because it's five color, it means you have all the relevant dragon options, including Crux. And I could see these foils getting up to eight or $10, don't you think? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all of these are all in, in such good position, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. So definitely. I think I bought about 20 copies of three that seemed reasonable as an entry. 
Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, sleepers are always good in EDH. Um, and, you know, they've all the ones that haven't been reprinted have a, a history of doing doing pretty reasonably, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, one that's suddenly really relevant and very one sided is is um, is definitely appealing. I think it's going to be appealing to a lot of players. And it's such a low buy in on the foil anyways that, you know, it's hard to miss at that point. Yeah, and it's, it's a nice looking foil. I could easily see this showing up in the actual deck. Um, but again, as a non foil. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think everything we're outlining here, we are just sort of expecting to be there uh, in the deck, right, in non-foil. I, mean, just... I would say that, yeah, the first four picks, at least, including your next one, could show up there. Yeah, speaking of which, my next pick is Utvara Hellkite. This is the dragon from Return to Ravnica. It's a big guy. He's an 8-mana 6-6, six, six. Um, so he's a little more expensive than some of the other uh, dragons floating around. But he is, uh, he is one, he's a, you're going down the rabbit hole and finding nothing but more rabbit holes. He, uh, whenever a dragon you control attacks, you put another dragon into play, another 6-6 six, six dragon token. So you get lots of dragons with this guy and the dragon tokens you make with him also make more dragons. Um, and if you're doing, if you somehow do any, uh, clever manipulation, like somehow make a bunch of tokens that are dragons and swing with those, you just end up with. A tremendous amount of them compared pair this with dragon tempest my previous pick and you could possibly kill like one shot people if you have enough creatures in play i'd have to do the math but i think it's possible um well of course it's possible but it might not even be that hard um but foils right now are around nine dollars uh there are i don't know three playsets on tcg player there's a couple more playsets floating around elsewhere in some of the other stores they're eight or nine bucks. There hasn't been a huge swing on these in price recently, which means that they can move in price. Now it's not like these are $9 after having been $3 for the last, you know, several weeks. Um, so I think this guy is, is pretty, is slated to move pretty good. I would bet $20 pretty easily. Um, and you know, return the Ravnica is getting a little older now and we're talking about foils. I think $20 is sort of maybe the lower end of his scale. It's one of the oldest cards on our list. Um, not super old, but older than the rest. And it's a mythic. So um, the foils could easily hit 20. There's very few of them left. I bought four last night. Uh, I would buy more, except I liked my other picks a little better. Um, but this one is, it, you could easily argue that this is at least equivalent, if not better, um, than any of the rest, because it's included in something like 70% plus of the EDH decks that care about dragons. Yeah, yeah. I really tried to hone in on the most played ones here. Um Okay, so what is your last pick of the week? So the other land that I think is an auto-include in this deck, and the nice thing here is that it has splash damage in a whole bunch of other decks, is Cascading Cataracts foils. This is the Amonkhet land, so it just came out. Um, but there's really not that many foils posted on TCG, like maybe 100, 120 copies total, which is not much given that we're in pe just headed towards peak supply now. This is the indestructible land that taps for colorless, or if you pay five and tap it, you get five mana in any combination of colors to your mana pool. That any combination of colors is a very nice, flexible land. Um, the foils are gorgeous because the art's gorgeous in foil. Um, it's like a rainbow over a giant waterfall. And uh, the thing is that there are multiple five color commanders um, that people care about, not just the new dragon one. And so, I, you know, whether you buy these now or wait for a summer sale, um, you know, I think you can go either way. There's no huge rush, but um, 
by the time people start to get excited about this dragon deck with, when the full list is out, uh, I think you definitely already want to have, you know, 10 or 20 copies of this in hand. Um, if it doesn't pop this year, then you hold it for a year or two. And I think it ends up as a 10 to $15 foil. Well, so uh, a couple of things. I actually, I completely agree with you because I, I called this card back when the set came out. In fact, uh, it was one of my, one of my picks on this show and I was like, it's going to take a while to get there, but it's a good card to keep an eye out for. Cause, uh, that, that mana flexibility is very useful. You kind of underestimate sometimes the ability to, to turn anything into uh, five colors of mana, especially if you've got some mana rocks floating around. So I really like it for that purpose. Um, and with the commanders being spoiled, the five colors are, are really going to lean on this. The other thing to point out is that I happen to know that a buddy of mine within the last, I think, three hours said he bought every copy under $5 he could find. <laughs> so that's probably why the prices are what they are and the supply may look a little thinner than you expected because he literally just bought it out. Um, but someone else has the same idea you did. So, you know, great minds and all that. Uh, let me refresh that TCG page because last I looked at it, four in the morning last night, we were at like... 80 results. I want to see where this is moved to. Yeah, it was, uh, I saw him mention it within the last hour or two. So and now of course, CCG player dies on me. Oh, he just screwed me over and made my pick totally invalidated. There's zero copies left as far as I can see. <laughs> I see near well, foil copy at well, 650. No, no, oh, I'm, I'm lying. I'm lying. There's not zero. He he only bought the first like 15 or 20 copies, like everything under five. So yeah, that's what he said was everything under five. Yeah. Yeah. So adjust my pick to between five and six dollars, and you still got plenty of inventory left. So we're back on, folks. We're back on. Yeah, there is there is there is still a lot in there. Uh, you know, and it starts at 5:30, so you know, cl very close in price. I think it's a slam dunk. One way or the other, this card is valuable in EDH long-term. Um, it's a card that they can easily reprint anytime they print a five-color commander, but they're not going to print foils. Until that whole no, no foils but the commander's policy changes, commander foils are just going to be primo. Yep. Especially on the older stuff uh, that hasn't managed, you know, like mid-range mid stuff, you know, it hasn't really spiked yet. It's a couple of years old, so it's got a little bit of a health a healthy price tag and then they print some commander and everybody just goes wild yeah so on, on the flip side of this let me just name a few other things you could go look at that i looked at last night but ultimately decided they were secondary <laughs> priorities wait um, i can we can we can shortcut this go to the edh rec page click on the dragon's tribal page and scroll down the signature cards and there you go just start with the foils <laughs> I, honestly yeah, I mean, like i feel like our job is like it, we, we are the least valuable this week that we've ever been because you just have to go to one page and look at a list and go, yeah, just work your way down. Well, I mean, I, I disagree. First of all, we pointed out that foils are the thing, which is important. Secondly, um, some of these cards are in really have very deep supply. And in, for instance, I'll give you a good example of why you know you guys are getting your money's worth here. A Tarka World <laughs> Render is actually the number one dragon in all dragon decks on EDH. It's in 941 decks. It's in 87% of them total. Um, and this is the 6-4 out of Fate Reforged that costs 7. Flying Trample, whenever a dragon you control attacks, it gets Double Strike, which is a very aggressive kind of beater uh, profile to have for one of your key creatures if what you're trying to do is get in hard and heavy and maybe ramp into that position by, say, turn 3 or 4. Um, 
But you need to know that there is, there was a promo edition of Atarka World Render that is commonly available for like a dollar to two dollars, which is really going to hold that spec back, which is why I didn't pour a bunch of money into it, even though it is the top card in this uh, archetype by percentage. Um, mm-hmm. by, by comparison, you might look at Silumgar the Drifting Death Foils, uh, which are slightly un- less represented in the total number of decks they appear in, but... Um, those foils are going to be a little harder to come by. And if you looked at something like Teneb the Harvester, which I think was originally printed in... Jeez, I don't even remember what the original printing of Teneb the Harvester Invasion, is. Invasion, I think, Invasion right? Block? Um, Teneb the Harvester. Planar Chaos. Oh, Teneb was the Planar Chaos one, but they were the companion to the Invasion Dragons. Right, and it got reprinted in Commander um, not so yeah. long ago, but again, not as a foil. Um, uh, if you were to look at, say, something like Bladewing the Risen, it was also reprinted. Um, I think Bladewing the Risen is actually in Kalia of the Vast, heavily Inferno deck, but again, not as a foil, so you might want to look at those. Um, we already talked about Haven and Dragon Tempest. Balefire Dragon, Steel Hellkite, those are both foils that would be worth taking a look at. Dragonlord Dramoka, Sarkin Unbroken, o- Dragonlord Ojatai, uh, Koligan, the Storm's Fury, Nicol Bolas, and Crucible of Fire are all other cards you might want to have a look at. Yep, and uh, and also worth pointing out too that at this point, you're basically just waiting to see what the other tribes are. We don't have that information yet. A quick look at EDH Rock tells us that it's like zombies, elves, goblins, and dragons are the top four. Um, I don't think we're going to see goblins because... Oh, I'm slivers are a fifth. I'm sorry. I don't think we're going to see goblins because we already know we're getting dragons. There's a lot of overlap there. Dragons can spill into five colors a lot easier than goblins can. Um, zombies are, are the most popular tribal deck, it would seem. I don't think... Um, I don't know if they're going to want to do zombies again. We have a lot of zombies out there for commander, so it does. It seems like they might want to go in a different direction than this. What's interesting to me about these tribal decks is they could use this as an opportunity to kind of build up some of the other tribes that are a little harder to put cards in for. We see zombies in basically every single standard set. Um, and now if you decide you want to build a zombie deck, and excuse me, a zombie EDH deck, it's not even like... Your first question is what type of zombie EDH deck do you want to do? Zombie tokens, which is you know what I play with CDC. You can go with um, a zombie commander. Do you want to do blue black, blue black red? You know red blue. You know you have a lot of choices. There's so many zombie cards. Contrast that with something like birds, right? Like there's if you decide to build a birds EDH deck, the first thing you're going to do is look for every car- card that's a bird. And then pull out all the ones that are playable in EDH, and you're going to be at like seven cards, right? And then you kind of you're like, okay, well, where do I go from here? So a lot of these tribes would might be more popular if there was just more playable cards for them. So dragons might, you know, maybe dragons is like that. Okay, everybody likes dragons. We're going to give you that, but then we're going to move down the list a little bit. We're going to do vampires. We're going to do humans. We're going to do um, spirits or elementals or snakes or soldiers or birds. So it'll be curious to see where this goes. I'm hoping we don't just get zombie dragon human uh you know hydra or whatever i'm hoping we get something a little more interesting than that i'm thinking we might get a merfolk deck yeah really merfolk seems so bad like they seem like the, one of the lamest edh tribes yeah but so like far, you said they, but, like, but like you said you can fill in some of the blanks because there's going to be some new cards here the other thing is that uh ixalan may or may not have uh, merfolk included um and if it does then having a little bit of spillover between the uh, commander decks and uh, the new set uh, is a possibility. However, one thing we do know, and we should That's touch true. on the touch on the actual cards, is that um, 
at least some of these cards are referencing um, planes that we haven't been to yet <clears throat> and planes that uh, we have. So, for instance, one of the three dragons that was spoiled was Okagachi, Vengeful Kami, which was the um, super antagonist in the Kamigawa block novels. Uh, it's one white, blue, black, red, green, 6-6, uh, six, six, flying trample dragon spirit. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, if that player attacked you during his or her last turn, you exile target non-land permanent that player controls. So it's like the ultimate rattlesnake uh, dragon. Um, and that one is, is quite... A... It was really cool to see this actually too, by the way, because I was uh, I came home and I pulled up Twitter and I saw this and I was like, what? I'm like, are we going back to Kamigawa? Like, where is this coming from? And I didn't recognize the set symbol. And it took me a minute or two before I found out that it was in the commander set. And I was like, oh man, for a second there, I thought that like a major mythic from the set after Ichalan had been spoiled. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things here is it's very unlikely that they're referencing Kamigawa on just the one card. So I would expect there to be similar, like uh, whatever planes they're referencing. I think this is going to end up being like uh, Magic Origins was, where they did a plane for each of the planeswalkers, and then there was a smattering of cards from all of them, right? Um, so I would think that the with this with these commander sets, we're going to see uh, say five planes or something covered, and the one of the other dragons looks like it's from a new plane, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there was uh, Wasatora, Nakoro Queen, two black, red, green cat dragon. Uh, pretty cool. You would think a cat dragon would look stupid, but that art's actually pretty cool. Um, yeah. it's a the only people that's going to look stupid are the people that are happy they got a cat dragon. <laughs> it's a flying trample 5-4, and when whenever Nakora Queen deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. If the player can't, you get a 3-3 black, red, and green cat dragon creature token, and oh my god, those tokens are so ridiculous. <sighs> it, it looks like a bat had sex with a cat, and then put some jewelry on. It's uh, crazy. Um, and so then there's the card that set this whole uh, set of picks for the week up, which is the Ur-Dragon. And you, people may recall that there was Scion of the Ur-Dragon has been a popular commander, five-color commander forever. And if you were playing dragons, that was probably a commander. Now they're giving you uh, the big daddy, the Ur-Dragon, which is four and then one of every color. So that's nine total for a 10-10 flying and whenever one or more dragons you control attacks draw that many cards then you may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield it also features a new keyword eminence which basically just means your dragons cost one less um, and they co cost one less uh, even when this thing's in the command zone so basically all your dragons just cost one less which is pretty hot um, and if that's going to be uh, one of the i would assume that eminence will be on each of one of the three commander cards um, in each of the four. decks. Uh, four decks? No, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to finish your sentence differently, and I was being a smart ass, and I think you're right. I think it's <laughs> three commanders, each yeah. four decks, each of three commanders. Exactly. So, uh, And then that second ability is pretty badass, right? Like, <clears throat> whenever a dragon attacks, you draw that many cards, and then you can put a permanent from your hand onto the battlefield. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty legitimate. I, I his gross. his cost reduction effect, by the way, like working from the command zone, is hugely important. Um, you know, the cards, commanders that have an effect on the battlefield from the command zone are so good because it's just, it's just like having an emblem, right? Like that's essentially what it is. Uh, Aloro was brutal. Um, 
uh who's the other ones the experience counter guys uh like uh marin the really popular deck like that is a very effective um feature so uh i think that he's going to end up being quite good yeah, so in summary, I think Dragon Foil cards are good. I think Travis agrees with me. Uh, our own Jason Alt of Brainstorm Brewery that also writes for MTG Price uh, didn't seem like he was so hot for it. So I'm so curious to see three to six months down the road whether all these foil dragon cards we bought are rotting in our spec binder or have actually sold through. Just just dying for any reason to shove something in Jason's face. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm legitimately curious like because I don't know for a certainty that these are going to move, and I don't think he does either. So this is more of a you know point of interest about whether tribal-focused EDH players are hot for foils. Uh, my contention, as we talked about before the cast, is that even if only 10 or 20% of commander players uh, are into foiling out their decks. Those players in particular tend to collect decks. They have lots of decks, maybe a dozen or more. Um, some of them will be foil, and you only really need uh, that much demand to you know, set up the plateau in the 10 to $15 range on a $4 card and, and make it move. Um, something that we've already seen some evidence of because Brea and uh, Atraxa and soon Yidris are uh, all set up to hold a higher price point now that they've been bought out a couple times. Uh, I want to stress that I was not uh, giving you a hard time about wanting to throw something back in Jason's face. I think that's a completely legitimate pursuit. Um, <laughs> also, uh, one of our readers um, felt compelled to tell us that he believes if it is pronounced in the Aztec tongue, uh, not tongue, but pronunciation guide, it would be Ishalon, not Ixalon. Oh, X is an SH there. Um Right. Worth, worth noting, worth noting, fair. I suppose, so we can sound very pretentious for a little while. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, my Mayan is is a little rusty, seeing as how it's a dead language. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's almost like when I'm my wife is teaching my my baby child Alara uh, Bulgarian, and I'm like, why are we speaking dead tongues in this house? Yeah, is there any? Do they even speak Bulgarian in Bulgaria? <laughs> yeah, they do. Okay, I really wasn't sure. Like, so, was they'd be so little... offended. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know. You know, some of these countries have languages, but aren't really used anymore. <laughs> I can't wait to play this back for her. Thank you for that. That was excellent. All right, so let's Here. talk about what happened in. Sorry. G Let's talk about what happened in the two G standard GPs this weekend, including uh, GP Montreal and GP Santiago, which of course in German means a whale's vagina. What? Oh, it's a Ron Burgundy quote. You're not up to up to speed on Anchorman. Oh no, I have not watched Tiago. Anyway, so our boys uh, here in Toronto made a trip up to Montreal and did pretty well for themselves. Uh, we had uh, our own uh, Daniel Fournier in the top eight on uh, Teamer uh, Marvel. Uh, Paul Dean, who's been uh, on the Pro Tour a few times already, um, also plays here at uh, Face to Face occasionally. Um, was in second, um, and we had former Canadian Pro Tour champion Sean McLaren uh, with Golgari Constrictor uh, in the top eight. Um, some total, we had, I think, three uh, Teamer Energy, Teamer Marvel decks. I don't know why they're listed as Marvelous Energy on MTG Top 8, but whatever. Uh, Is It Control was in the top four. Mardu Vehicles, the McLaren Golgari Constrictor deck, another Mardu Vehicles, and a Mono Black Zombies. I mean, if we were just looking at that tournament from Montreal, you would say that that was relatively healthy format, right? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I was of the opinion that Marvel had kind of overrun standard, but when you look at these two top eights together, it really doesn't paint that much of a picture. Yes, um, Aetherworks is a pretty uh, well-represented strategy, but it's not uh, running over the format. It's at like 25% or something like that. Um maybe 30%, which is not unreasonable for a standard deck. And then you've got a lot of other stuff going on. You've got the, you know, the black green decks, you've got the vehicle decks, you have some control strategies, um, some zombies. So there's definitely some flavor in the format. And as much as we all want to point to it and go, Oh, this is ruined and broken and bad and blah, blah, blah. It's hard to make the claim that that's true. Um, I do think that we are in a position where if you look at the price like of Ulamog and Aether, Aetherworks Marvel, you would expect those to be higher given how popular Marvel is, and they just aren't. They aren't there. And what that tells me is you're really seeing demand for standard inflate, uh, deflate or at least just not react. The card prices are not reacting to kind of what the format looks like because there's just not enough people who care. Um, and you can try and blame this on the fact that we are approaching summer, which is always a lull for standard for um, many reasons. Um, and or, or it could possibly be that just people don't like this standard. They don't like playing against Aetherworks Marvel in general. Um, you know, 25, 30% of a field as like Mar Mardu vehicles is I think probably a little more palatable because there's actually a game to be played. Whereas, you know, we've all started to see kind of memes and jokes appear on Twitter about Marvel works and spinning it and just, you know, just rolling the die every time. It's, it's a little less uh, engaging, I think, for the average player to show up to FNM and have to face this, you know, once every couple of rounds. Um, but in any case, we are seeing standard deflate and prices deflate a little bit, even though the format looks reasonably balanced. But the silver lining here is that for people like James and I and all of you listeners out there, that means come August, there's going to be some really great chances to pick up cards that are going to uh, explode in October. Well, and again, Kaladesh block is the first block that can't be redeemed on Magic Online past, I think, either this week or the week after. Um, because once Amonkhet was out within a month, I think, the or two months, the uh, redemption program shut down. Um, so what that should mean is that heading into the fall, you should see um, uh, spikes uh, hit harder and hold easier um, because the, the uh, ability to replenish supply at the LGS level with, a, um, with reliability will not be present because there's a huge difference between cracking boxes looking for mythics you want to sell and hoping that you roll the dice correctly and get them versus ordering sets on Magic Online four at a time and knowing you're get, getting complete play sets of the set that you can easily um, do the math on and, and make sure that your, your margins are intact. Now, I mean, if we're looking a little deeper at Montreal, for instance, in the top 16, we then had another Mardu Ballista deck, two Golgari Constrictor decks, and then four Teamer Energy decks. So, um, and over in Santiago... It was uh, <laughs> three teamer Marvel decks, zombies, gruel energy, is it control in Marty vehicles? So, I mean, again, looking reasonable, but at, there's been at least three or four pro-level articles this week on major platforms that have talked about how they think uh, either Ulamog or Marvel might have to go. Um, that's a real awkward position for Wizards to be in because we've had way too many bannings in the last year as is. Pretty much every version of Standard has needed a banning. Um, and to do that yet again, um, to try to keep the format in repair is just setting a brutal precedent for standard on the go forward that I think is going to do as much harm as it does good. Um, you know, it's, it, it f might fix the format in, in a local way, 
um, you know, meaning that for a period of time, the, it's got a little bit more room to breathe. Um, but if you get rid of Marvel, you get rid of all the cool opportunities to do new things with Marvel moving forward, and you you cut out another key mythic from the fall set uh, and piss people off, especially people that just went deep on it um, and bought recent play sets. And if you cut Ulamog, then that's not that, that big a deal because it was rotating in the fall anyway. But then if Nicol Bolas or something else in Hour of Devastation or one of the next sets in the next year and a half is as busted as Ulamog, then you got the same problem all over again. Yeah, you know, you could... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I am inclined to think they aren't going to ban anything. They're just going to grit their teeth and weather it through the summer because it's a, a downtime anyways. Um, I think they're hoping that with this rotation, they can walk away from standard bannings for quite some time. Um, you know, they'll have the Eldrazi behind them, uh, which has really been the major problem um, that and, and copter. So hoping they can, I think they're hoping they can just walk away from this completely, but man, if, and I think players are going to expect the same thing too. Kind of like, okay, it's the fall. It's a fresh, it's a reset. It's a rotation. You guys weren't expecting, you know, you, you started building battle for Zendikar expecting a different rotation schedule. Um, all right, let's, it's time to start from scratch. And then if they have to do it to nickel bolus too, Oh, that is going to be brutal. That is like a whole separate, instance of it whereas this would just feel like a continuation so that would be that would be bad for wizards they would not be happy about that i mean it's going to be take a couple of years before the results of implementing that new play group that they announced so previously in magic card um, production there's been the design team the development team and now they're adding a testing team that essentially plays the format and looks for problems um, but it's going to take a while for them to like really like hit the sweet spot and and get their feet under them get you know work on some sets see how those turn out it could be two to three years before they really hit stride um, and that leaves a lot of room for mistakes and and standards just in, in a very bad position i mean given the fact that marvel has you know made us some money a couple times already but I feel pretty certain I'm going to, despite having made money overall on Marvel, I'm going to get caught holding some copies because for the best deck in the format to be running a four of Mythic that's an auto-include in 100% of the versions of the deck, for the deck to have multiple versions in multiple colors and still be at only $7, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gideon held 20 to 30 pretty much his entire time in Standard, and, and, and the dominance of Marvel at this point is just about the same. So you gotta, you got to wonder whether how much Standard has fallen off at the LGS level uh, versus results that were even you know a year or two years ago. Yeah, it is. The, those prices, I can't get over those prices. They're so, uh, so telling, right, that there's just no, there's no interest there. Um, it really is remarkable. Uh, so I guess at this point, is there anything in standard, like between now and October that you really care about? Is there anything, you know, that we should be advising these people to look at buying because of what could happen? And then not because of what could set up for October, but because of what could happen in the next couple months. I am just steering clear of that completely because there are definitely opportunities there, but the reality is that, um, we're not going to get any brand new archetypes until, uh, hour of devastation. And even then, it's probably continuing on with the themes that are already established. We know we're not getting any more energy cards. We know we probably will get some more zombie cards. Um, And the the sum total of where standards at just says, this is not your best way to make money. EDH has been a proven moneymaker for the last six months, solid. So many different cards have spiked and held those plateaus. Um, the work we're doing in Europe has been very productive and, you know, with these dragon specs, I was able to pick up some cool stuff here in Canada and in Japan, um, at very reasonable prices to, you know, back that EDH play. 
Um, and then, you know, some modern foils have also been, you know, doing well. Like we talked about Vizier Remedies. I picked up those foils when that combo was first uh, uh, shown off on some of the Twitch streamers channels, which is something everybody should be watching anyway um, to catch the, you know, the incoming combo action and uh, pick them up in around $3 or whatever. And if, if I can unload them anywhere over 10, that's already a slam dunk. So standard uh, is like the lowest of priorities amongst all of those options. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I in general, now, first of all, don't buy anything over the next couple months in, in hopes that it's going to go anywhere in standard because that's just a losing proposition. Um, in general, I'm not a super fan of standard either for, for trying to make money. I guess the silver lining for me on standard is you can get very sudden results, right? Um, because it's, it tends to be so quick compared to other formats. Um, and you can see cards that you wouldn't really expect to move as hard as they did really spike. You know, if you, if you timed walking ballista correctly, uh, oh, they're very liquid too. That was the other thing is you can move them really easily and frequently. So, you know, if you timed walking ballista, right, you bought in at like $2 or under, and you were selling them at 10 or 15 bucks, which is awesome. Um, it's just really difficult. So I think that standard tends to be the hardest format to do this type of work with, but it can be lucrative um, quickly, but it's just tough. You really have to pick your spots, uh, which is why I generally stay away unless I'm very confident. So, uh, but yeah, EDH is, I think, is clearly the winner here um, overall, just because it's so reliable. And uh, unless, you know, generally we're not trying to play a get in and out in a month game, um, you know, you, you, you want to get that rolling portfolio going. So you're selling stuff that you bought a couple months or a year ago all the time. I think that's your, your best strategy. Yeah. I mean, I've, I was doing a bunch of math on my portfolio cause I caught up on all the cards that I had shipped to the U S between January and May. So I'll probably put a video a video together on that. Cause there's a pretty cool set of specs. And, uh, the, what I realized is that the, you know, my spec portfolio is totally self-sufficient. Like I haven't spent a dollar out of my bank account in over eight months. So all the all the money I'm spending on Magic is coming from Magic, and and it's just rolling forward and and building up the asset pool, um, which is a really great place to be because then you don't have to worry about you know uh, explaining it to your significant other and and so <laughs> forth. And one of the nice things about EDH is that the it, it deals with a giant card pool like Legacy, but because uh, the the number of viable decks is so much higher, and they're pumping in new commanders all the time, um, it means that. You don't just have eight to 12 decks that are, you know, viable tier one, tier two. You have 20, 30, 40, 50 different decks you could play depending on how competitive your local metagame is. And uh, it's drawing from the super deep card pool that is prone to repeat uh, reprints, but the reprints are never in foil, but there's lots of commander players that like foils. And it's such a big card pool that they can never no could never knock off all those foil reprints anyway. So, I mean, all of that contributes to a very attractive speculation environment. Yeah, it's kind of funny that, the way EDH ends up playing out is it's sort of like Wizards Wishes Standard could be as popular as Commander is, basically. Like, it's possible that that's kind of how big... Not I guess you, I wouldn't say possible. Yeah, that's possible how big Standard could be. Like, it could be that level of demand and excitement, but they just haven't managed to get us there. Um, I, I, I would argue we've spent 10 to 15 years assuming that the most important important format in Magic is Standard, and that recently um, market data that Wizards is gathering is suggesting that that may no longer be the case. Um, I would mm -hmm. argue that managing Standard may arguably be much tougher than it is to manage Commander, 
And, you know, we see them, uh, you know, devoting some resources to supporting 1v1 commander on Magic Online. And I see that as a probing thrust to see if, you know, what to what degree they can show, they can make a commander even more front and center. And when I did that, art, that video piece for Tolarian Academy last month, um, you know, the main thrust of my argument wasn't that modern should be expensive because fuck you. It was modern should be expensive because they, they can't afford to for focus on it when they need to keep selling you new cards. And uh, Commander sells new cards because Commander players own multiple decks and because they like to play around with the hot new toys. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors in play that suggest that Magic might shift away from, from uh, competitive play in the Pro Tour in favor of uh, quasi you know, casual slash competitive play that is driven by YouTube videos and Twitch streamers. Well, it's funny you say shift away from the Pro Tour because today they made a move that some would consider uh, questioning the integrity of the event. Um, we saw a gentleman, uh, wait, oh, oh God, what's his name? Scamas? Amas? I actually don't know who he is. Some Hearthstone Pro got a, a sponsorship invite to the Pro Tour. Um, He's just, he's a Hearthstone player. Uh, he's got like 150,000 um, Twitter followers, I think. Quite popular over there. Doesn't really do much with Magic. I think he's played a couple times. But he got an invitation to the Pro Tour. Um, just, hey, do you want to come play? This is uh, this is not unprecedented. Wizards did a sponsorship um, invites a, a couple of years ago. They had, um, oh God, now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, probably could have looked this up before the cast. They had several personalities who they invited to come play on the pro tour essentially for free um and there was a little bit of blowback so they pulled back on that but they've kind of they're dipping their toe in that pool again um you know i'm sure james that you and i are on the same page so why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners what you think about this latest uh, turn of events yeah i'm a little conflicted about this whole concept because you know as a guy who has no intention of really? ever, of ever grinding towards the pro tour um, I still have a tremendous amount of respect having, you know, been a part of the game for almost a quarter of a century now, um, watching the, you know, the sacrifices people have made in pursuit of their dream of being on this pro tour. And it's not like going to the moon, right? Like you're not getting chicks left, right, and center, and you don't end up a multimillionaire, even the best of the best end up doing well for themselves. But usually those guys are so smart. They've got some other career where they're making, making most of their bones. Um, but I, 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 as much as I, I don't need competitive magic to enjoy magic, I appreciate the level of skill of watching somebody like a Yuya Watanabe or a, an Owen Turtonwald or a, um, a John Finkel or a, um, you know, these guys play in a top eight so much better than I know I can ever play that it gives me a, hel a healthier appreciation for the fact that Magic is one of those games you can never be perfect at. You can, uh, you can aspire to perfection, you can work towards it, and that's an honorable pursuit. And I want the, the tour <laughs> that these guys earn their way onto to be um, you know, important for them and respected by us. And so as you know, somebody who respects competitive play, I don't like this. However, the agency head in me, the guy who's been running a marketing company for almost 20 years, um, looks at this and goes, well, yeah, duh, slam dunk. If you're worried about everybody fleeing to games like Hearthstone and you really want to get some eyes and attention on your product, maybe you should invite some of the people that have you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or tens of thousands of Twitch stream followers to uh, check out your game. And you know, for the low, low cost of giving this guy a seat at the table, you 
you know, gaining like thousands of eyeballs that might consider playing your game. One of the problems I have with this though, is that it's really bad timing in coordination with how poor a product and an experience Magic Online is. I mean, if you're coming from a very polished product like Hearthstone and trying and and loading up Magic Online in your like browser client, you're going to be scratching your head like, what the fuck? Is this software 10, 15 years old? Like, where did this come from? Um, it's, well, it looks, the interface is so embarrassing versus almost every other experience in the video gaming world that the concept that you would take a digital... Uh, personality and try to draw their users in towards your game by showing off his performance at a paper version of the game is dubious at best. The well, other I, wait, hold on. I want to, I want to, we got to chalk. So I have a couple thoughts. First of all, I'm surprised that you are as, um, as you were even considering it from the competitive perspective that I, I would have expected you to be a hundred percent have said it's the promotional tour, not the professional tour, uh, deal with it. Um, it actually is technically the, the professional tour. Uh, but I would have kind of expected you to be on that, that category. I will say, I think that in terms of inviting a, the timing is, is odd. I do notice they invited him to the pro tour, not the, um, not like the MTGO finals, whatever those are. I forget the name of them. So they are placing him distinct. They are decidedly putting him in a paper environment, not the digital environment. And if you were, if you knew nothing about Moto and you just knew there was paper magic and digital magic, and you were inviting a digital player from another game to your game, you would probably send them to the digital side because that's where you would expect to see the biggest transition of users. But they yeah. are clearly going, we're not going to put him with the video game because we know it's garbage. We're going to go put him in the paper zone so that all those Hearthstone players that watch go get paper cards, not download Moto. So I think that that is probably the angle they're going for. They're not connecting the dots, though, because that's not how gamers think at all. Like, a video gamer wow. that's used to playing on their PC or in the comfort of their home on their couch with their PS4 or Xbox is not prone to running out to an LGS, tracking one down, and buying some paper cards. They're, they're, all, about, they're all about instant satisfaction and gratification. That's what we talk about all the time when we're marketing to that demographic. And from Twitch, you're going to have a link, right? And that link's going to go to Moto. There's no way around it. You're you're going to have that link, and they're going to click it and consider downloading it. They're going to download the client, install it, take one look at it, and go, "Are you kidding me?" And that's yeah, I mean that's, that's not where I want to be. Yeah, that's I mean that's definitely going to happen in some amount. I I wonder if they're just hoping that the number of players who look at it and go, "Oh, you know, I've been playing this digital game." I wonder about like trying a paper one. Like this looks like a more complicated game. It looks like a little, like kind of a step up almost um, a little hardier. Uh, and maybe this is a good time to make that transition. And we know that players in general are not, you know, they're not opposed to physical medium and real world. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons, I think has seen a bit of a resurgence, like sitting in a real room with people doing it. So it's not impossible. Again, not to say that this will or won't be successful. I guess I'm just trying to play devil's advocate on this one from wizard's perspective. Well, I mean, Dungeons um, and Dragons is an interesting comparison, right? Because you're talking that entire market globally might be a fraction of 1% of the total video gaming market. So it's, it's, it's like apples and completely tiny little, little, oranges that you can't find because you drop them on the ground. They, <laughs> my, my only my only point being that I think it has seen an increase in the player base as a, within the last couple of years. As sure, to, and uh, board games have seen a resurgence too, ago. and the board game category uh, does better overall for Hasbro than Magic does. 
Um, so it's, it's important to keep in mind that mainstream gaming, you know, Monopoly and Play-Doh and stuff like that, um, is still, you know, as big as Magic has gotten, those brands are still bigger. Um, because they, yeah. you can play them with your mom and dad on a Sunday night at the kitchen table and you, and they, they've been around, some of those brands have been around for 60, 80 years. And, you know, as cool as it is that we're entering our 25th, that doesn't necessarily make you the big kid on the block. Um, I think it's really weird timing to be focusing on this kind of thing um, because we don't have uh, Magic Digital Next yet. Like it hasn't even been fully revealed. Um, I would expect a much bigger push towards getting you know video game streamers of all types and shapes and sizes involved in this game, um, you know, as quickly as possible. But I'll tell you this: um, I don't know if you played The Witcher Three um, on on PS4. Um, but that game had a game within the game, which was a card game called Gwent. And Gwent recently put out uh, an open alpha and then a beta that uh, um, uh, is for PC players. And uh, the guy that's coming to the Magic Pro Tour, when I turned on his Twitch stream to check it out today, he was playing Gwent. And then all over the internet, I was seeing Gwent ads that followed me around everywhere because that's how things work now. And uh, it struck me yet again that you never see Magic ads anywhere. Like Hasbro it must have spent money on advertising back in the 90s or whatever, and it didn't work to their satisfaction to build the player base, and they've been gun-shy about it ever since, which is very strange because many of their other products get constant advertising in cross-format mediums. Like think about how Transformers is, is marketed, right? Um, $850 million international box office on the movies that are related. Um, multi, uh, there's been five or six cartoons for Transformers over the last 10 years, like something like two dozen, three dozen toy lines. They make sure that there are exclusives at all the major conferences, et cetera. There, there is cross-platform, cross-experience, multi-tiered advertising and marketing and promotional efforts for that brand everywhere. And you never see any of that for Magic, not even like toes in the water. Um, and that has always struck me as odd and continues to strike me as odd. But there, there's a whole other yeah, angle to this, curious. right? There, there's two different outcomes that can come from this guy showing up at the Pro Tour. One, he does really well. What if he kicks ass and wins the Pro Tour? Think about how, <laughs> how bad that would look. All our pros that have been struggling for 5, 10, 15 years of your life, you got Christian Calcano crying on camera because of how hard it was to get into his first Pro Tour top eight and what an emotional catharsis that was for him. And then this guy waltzes in from like Hearthstone Twitch and just destroys everybody. That wouldn't be good. That's terrible. The flip side of that is he shows up and gets destroyed, which will just underline how, um, like, how silly it was to take some random kid and put him in the hundred meter dash at the Olympics. Well, that's what happened last time. That like the guy who had Owen was talking about it. That the guy who did this last time uh, won like one match. <laughs> yeah, and and what does that what does that prove? If if his fans go there to watch him do well and he doesn't. They'll just go, well, he doesn't know what he's doing on that and walk away. They're not going to stay entranced because they're rooting for the underdog. That's really yeah, not, how I, that, that's not how that works. I, like, you like to see your streamer do well. If they do poorly, you switch to another stream. That's how Twitch works. I suspect that they will put him on feature match round one or two. Yeah. Or, you know, or the first round of constructed or what have you, possibly. Um, get his name out there. People knew he was playing. And then if he doesn't win, switch. If he, yeah, if he doesn't win, switch away. 
Um, I don't think they're going to stick with him for very long. And they're not because I don't remember them really talking about the guy who got demolished when he showed up last time. You know, that wasn't a narrative they kind of kept up with. Or if they did keep up with the narrative, it was about how much fun he was having and what a great experience. And it was really interesting. And like, he has so much respect for the game and the players. It wasn't. Yeah, of course, I didn't know what I was doing. I've never played this game before. And I showed up and all these people who've been playing for 20 years as a full time job. Like, what the hell did you think was going to happen? So, so, so um, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy's stream because it, if they're doing this right, the correct way to do this is to be paying this guy to play Magic Online. I mean, yeah, Magic Online sucks, but if you're trying to connect the dots, get this guy to play on a regular basis leading up to the Pro Tour, talking about it all the time, and whatever you're paying him, probably ten, twenty thousand dollars to do that for the period leading up to the Pro Tour, hopefully turns into you know ten times that much in sales because people get curious about the game and go seeking product in in physical or digital form. If you don't do any of that and you just leave it up to him to decide to what degree he wants to feature it on his streams, he's going to do what he did today and keep playing Hearthstone and Gwent and whatever and occasionally dip into Magic. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I just don't see the point of... I think the point of him being at the Pro Tour is to sell product, right? To, to draw eyeballs and attention and sell product. And that needs to, requires a coordinated effort where you're basically paying to control some portion of his schedule. One would assume that that's the goal. <laughs> Um, All right, so we had, uh, we're had we getting pretty long here, but I had a couple of quick things we wanted to go over. And um, one thing was that we were uh, we dipped into a conversation on Twitter about how, because Commander 2016 has essentially sold out uh, via distributors and has been sold out in North America for, the, for at least a few months, um, people have been reporting that the Japanese versions of the Commander decks have been popping up at Walmarts and Targets and stuff all over the country. Um, my best understanding of that situation is that Troll and Toad is behind that rack jobbing. Um, it's not actually Walmart that stocks that product. They basically subcontract it to Troll and Toad, who makes sure that those all those uh, shelves have the product they need. Um, and so my thinking is that Troll and Toad uh, was able to um, make sure that they could fill the shelf slot by getting some of the some unused uh, Japanese commander decks that maybe didn't do so well overseas um, or were overprinted due to some kind of printing uh, requirement uh, uh, and fill the channel. What that means is that uh, your impulse to buy a Japanese foil Atraxa deck might not be as much of a slam dunk as you're expecting it to be. But I would still think that in you know the one two three year horizon, uh, having a sealed foil attracts a deck that you bought it at thirty four ninety nine is still probably a solid idea. Yeah, I don't know. You know, EDH is a casual format, and Japanese cards are sell much slower in EDH in, in the casual sphere. Um, and this is pretty well known at this point. So. Uh, I, I think that you are unlikely to really lose. I'm not sure that I'm sold that the opportunity cost is there on these guys. Well, I mean, keep in mind that attracts decks are going online for the 60 to $80 range, right? And the, including the Japanese ones. So if you can get a Brayer and Atraxa, um, you might be able to get it, get out of it pretty easily, um, on eBay and so forth. The other thing here is that I, I fully agree that like random, like cards, no one recognizes, no one's going to appreciate in your playgroup if your deck is full of Japanese cards. However, um, I think when you're looking at the, these opportunities, you need to think about it as a, a sealed collectible product that you're that no one ever opens, or the benefit of potentially cracking the 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 product to um, resell the five uh, five or six most important cards. It's like I think that a a foil Japanese Atraxa will be a pimp commander to have in two to three years because it's never going to get reprinted like that. 
um, until the next Commander anthology, right? Um, yeah, it's going to be so many of those. But the thing is that the anthologies aren't printed in multiple languages, to my knowledge. I think it's just in English. So, you know, that could be a, a, a particularly blinged out version of Atraxa. And because it's a commander everybody knows and understands, it doesn't matter what language it's in because people get it. Like, you can have a foreign lightning bolt in your deck. Nobody's going to blink. Um, it's when you start putting obscure cards on the table in multiple that everybody has to track. And then it just gets annoying for everybody and no one's going to be too pleased. Well, I mean, you're you're completely correct, and I mean, if these are really eighty dollars or whatever on on eBay right now, and you can flip those for that cheap, then by all means, go for it. Uh, you know, you're just locking in profits at that point. I'm just thinking more from a a long term perspective. I'm I'm pretty cool on uh, sealed product at this point, but that doesn't mean that there won't be profits in there for you. So you know, maybe if you've got if you've got a bit of a bankroll um, and you don't mind sitting on it for a while, it's not a bad choice. Uh, I could see that. I'll go. I'll go so far as to agree to that. Well, I mean, you're certainly not going to get any argument from me that most sealed product is problematic. But Commander 2016 was underprinted clearly versus demand, so it's made people a lot of money. Um, and and oddly enough, after telling everybody not not to open Modern Masters 2017 boxes, um, I picked up a huge order uh, dating back almost a year of uh, the sealed product that I still purchase, which is one Korean and one Russian box of everything that comes out. Um, which I keep sealed with with great discipline um, on the premise that at some point down the road, I'm going to sell like an entire collection of Russian sealed uh, booster boxes, uh, which get pretty rare after a few years. And some of the boxes like Khan's Tarkir have easily doubled up in within two to three years. Um, but part of that order was two boxes uh, or a half case of Modern Masters 2017 that I ordered at 175 a piece. And uh, given the EV of the set was around 140 or 150, I figured, ah, hell, for my birthday, I'll treat myself and pop these open. Um, long story short, the first box was worth about 225, um, dead solid. Uh, and the second box was worth over $350. And that wasn't even stretching to count up all the commons and uncommons and foil uncommons and stuff. This box mm. had everything but goif. It was Liliana, four of the five fetch lands, including a, a printing error marsh flats that's that I've already been offered 60 bucks on. Uh, and, you know, Blood Moon, Damnation, and a whole bunch of the other good rares. Um, just, just goes to show that the, the print runs for these boxes seem to be relatively sequential. So, like, both of these boxes look pretty similar, the way that they, they opened up. Um, and I've heard from people that uh, the variance on these is very high, um, but I was certainly pleased with the outcome there. Uh, <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> but that, that wasn't even my, my most exciting victory of the week. Um, this is uh, a story that goes out to all the people that have sold on eBay and been screwed, um, that even in your darkest hour, there may be light at the end, end of the tunnel. So I sold somebody about a month ago in FTV Realms, uh, set fully sealed um, and if you've ever uh, owned or sold a uh, an FTV product you know that there's a white exterior box then there's a thick uh, interior box that has a window box you can open inside there's two plastic plastic trays and in between those trays there are three uh, clear cellophane sealed packages of five cards each uh, 15 cards in an FTV so the guy gets the, the set and three weeks later submits a complaint to eBay that the cards arrived damaged and he wants a full refund. But really what he's angling for is a discount. So he starts negotiating with me that he wants 50 bucks off. 
Um, but the guy makes the mistake of, of saying in the dialogue that he wants to uh, resell the cards and that the, the bend that he found in the cards when he opened them was extreme in his words and that he wasn't going to be able to resell them. <laughs> um, but instead of looking for the full refund, I mean, he looks for the partial refund. So I uh, ask eBay to intervene and they promptly close the case rule against me and tell me that I've got to send him a shipping label so that he can send it back to me. So I call into customer service, argue for half an hour, get promoted to a supervisor who calls me back 24 hours later. Um, and I uh, go at them with the, the, the logic stream of, you know, FTV product is sealed. It's got a heavy gloss on it. There's a natural curl to the product, but any additional curl that happens after he opens this product is beyond my ability to control. And the guy goes, you know, I think I own an FTV product and I think you're right. <laughs> and keep in mind that, you know, I have a deep sense of honor and justice <laughs> that comes into play in these customer service discussions. And I was having the conversation knowing it was going to be 20 minutes to half an hour and knowing I was going to lose. Um, and that I was going to end up sending this guy 50 bucks to just keep my eBay re record spotless. And I, my mind was absolutely blown to the point where I, I, I was like stunned for 20 seconds <laughs> when this guy said, yeah, I, I think I own FTV. You're right. Like, I, I don't see why he opened the cellophane. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, the cellophane. Why did he open that? Like, he could have just sent it back to us when he ascertained that the cards were curled if he didn't like it. He's like, I think this guy's trying to rip you off. Sir, don't worry about this. We're going to take care of it. And I said, what? <laughs> And he said, keep in mind, this is a case that's already closed uh, in judgment against me. They never reopen cases. So I'm like, are you serious? I said, I said, so what happens next? He goes, I'll take care of it and I'll confirm it back to you next week. You do not need to send the product, send him a shipping label. Jeez, I, must I was, be nice. <laughs> I was so stunned. I immediately sent Dan Bach a message on Facebook and I was like, have you ever heard of this before? This is blowing my mind. I said, and Dan Bach's immediate response was, what's the name of that supervisor? I need it for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like we need to find out who that is. So like every single time you'd be like, no, uh, I want to talk to this guy right here. I need, I need, your, to him. I need your magic specialist, please. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's really funny. There cannot be that many categories on ebay where you can call up and get a actual like somebody who knows what the hell you're talking about about whatever niche domain it is that you're selling crap in yeah and, and keep in mind this is this is no testament to my skills i've lost like 10 of these conversations in the past but i was so stoked to just once have ebay have the back of a seller you know yeah, because that, oh God, I basically don't sell on eBay anymore. I will list very few items at much higher rates than I do on TCG Player just because uh, it is so unpleasant if you are a, uh, a a seller. It's just, it's like they go out of their way to be jerks. Yeah. Uh, also, a, a quick shout out to Douglas Johnson, uh, who is shipping some devoted druids on my behalf when I oversold my stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, while I was away from my desk and couldn't check my inventory, um, I had a full play set <clears throat> of overstock that I had to ship out and he took care of it for me. So thanks, DJ. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this week then. We're, uh, we're running kind of long here. Uh, so James, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Okay, and I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday on MTG Price. I also do the Cartel Aristocrats podcast. Uh, I think we're doing some sort of, we might be doing some sort of meet and greet thing. Um, 
in Vegas. Uh, also, if you enjoy playing Magic, check out Scry.Land. Find Magic in your area. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, I thought we had another great episode this week. Thanks for joining me, James, and I will see you next week. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MGG Fast Finance. Thank mm-hmm. you.